0: Hello to you. Welcome to another special episode where I come out with these bi-weekly to talk about a subject that just feels like it's resonating for me and I'm getting asked a lot about. Um, In light of that, I am, and it's topical to what I'm going to speak about today, is I'm launching a book club that is part of my membership and it's going to be amazing. The first book we're doing is 8 Dates by the Gottmans, who if you don't know who they are, I mean gosh, they're basically the the gurus of relational research and their book 8 Dates is eight conversations and dates that you get sort of spelled out and that are essential, that are research backed that really contribute to beautiful, successful relationships. And so, if you want to sign up for that or just find out more about it, you can go To bit.ly, bit.ly slash create the book club. So pretty simple bit.ly slash create the book club. And you can go check out the information there and see if you want to sign up, see if you're interested. On top of that, you also get all the benefits of being part of the membership, which is weekly assignments, weekly reading, weekly videos. And we interact on there. And the people who are get the most points in that membership site can ask the top three people biweekly get to ask me their personal question and I answer with a video. So if that interests you, just go to uh, bit.ly slash create the book club. Okay. So wherever you listen to this, if you would do the lovely favor of going and rating it and giving a five-star review and a written review, that's super helpful to get it in more ears. I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful that you listen to this podcast and you share it. I get so many messages from you and I'm so grateful for that because it, you know, sometimes the work or being public about yourself, your heart is not easy. And as I said in my last special episode, that my relationship to codependency is really sort of constantly healing as I transform from caring what other people think about me, being more important than what I think about me, that growth is really happening where I have to let go of thoughts like trolls and things like that, because the impact or the message or the thought or the mission or the purpose or whatever you wanna call it, but the part from my heart that says the work is greater than the pain, the risk, the thing, the expansion, the more I feel into that, the more I recognize that this work is important and connecting with you is important and sharing the things that are hard for me is important. And in a lot of ways, my work, as you could probably tell, I'm a little emotional in saying that a lot of ways, my work is so much just what I learned through me, what I learned through my experiences. And I remember when I first went through sort of the moment where I was like, I don't have anything figured out. <laughs> I used to teach, uh, I was in sales, I took lots of sales training. And then I would read books like how do you get anyone to do anything and how to manipulate, how to get people to buy stuff. I was in sales. And that skill set was really important, you know, but really the skill set I was building was how to manipulate behavior. And I really was intrigued by that. I was really intrigued by what made human change. And when I was 27 and I had, you know, this experience where I proposed to a partner I'd been dating for five years who is just an incredible human. And the day that I got engaged, which I'd been afraid to get engaged, and I didn't know why, I didn't know what was going on for me. And I said to, I remember talking to my dad and saying, you know, I got engaged just to keep you sort of updated before I go to that. I got engaged and then I just wondered, like, why wasn't I happy? Why did I not feel different? I was taught my whole life that I should get engaged and that I should get married by a certain age. And I remember saying to my dad, I'm really scared. I don't know what's going on. I can't process this. And I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. And my dad had been married before my mom and been divorced and then met my mom and He said to me, you're just afraid of commitment, you know, it's normal. You're afraid to grow up. And other people said that to me, you have Peter Pan syndrome. And I thought to myself, well, maybe, but if this feels like more than that. And I remember saying to him, do you remember how you felt the day that you married your first wife? And he said, yeah. And I said, do you remember how you felt the day you married mom? And he said, yeah. And I said, did those two feel different? And he said, yeah. And then he got it. And I remember being very emotional in that conversation because, you know, when you're going through hard things, the people who are most important to you, the people who you love, you hope they can show up for you as a mirror, as an accurate mirror, an objective mirror. But I think the first thing to know and to honor and recognize is that often people can't separate the impact that your choice will have on them. They can't separate that from the advice they give. I'm not saying that's exactly what happened, but that happened a lot with people in my life who I wanted to turn towards. And you know, when I'm looking back, I really have so much compassion for the younger version of me who didn't know what he was doing and was really literally every day just holding on. In a lot of ways, ending that engagement was, I mean, in so many ways, it was hard because uh, it's hard to hurt someone who's incredible and it's hard to leave someone who's great. But it was so much the beginning of a real beautiful education and a real beautiful awakening for me. In ending that engagement, um, a lot of what happened was I felt like I was going against everybody, that I was going against the grain. And I remember my friend uh, who had been married, the first friend of mine who got married, he got divorced uh, when we were in our early 30s. And he said to me, I feel like I was on the train that everyone else is on. Like at a subway station, you know, when you see everyone packed on. And he said, and you know, like my wife cheated on me and she left me. And I feel like I got kicked off that train. I didn't choose to get off the train. A lot of people choose to get off the train. And he said, and now I watch the train go by and I'm glad I'm not on it because I realized I was on a train I didn't know I was on. And in a lot of ways, what happened when I was 27 is that I felt like I woke up in a story that wasn't mine. It was mine. Obviously, I'm responsible for those choices. But I look back And I think of how does someone get there? How does someone get to that place? And you sort of get disconnected from yourself when the bigness of the world, the bigness of your feelings, the bigness of your thoughts, the bigness of your emotions, when they get numbed, when they get told they're too much, you get to a place where someone who's disconnected gets to. And I didn't really know how to love big and be in a relationship. You know, I didn't know how to do it and communicate my needs. I didn't know how to do it and not end up hurt. I didn't know how to do it because I wasn't going into relationships with someone with me having my own back. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going into them thinking like, oh, well, if this behavior isn't okay. Or if this happens, I know I'll stand up for me. I think in a lot of ways, I put connection to the other person ahead of staying connected to my own heart. And that's an amazing thing to wake up to, to recognize that when you love big and you're a kid, I think all of us are born into this space where we just, our hearts are wide open. When that first sort of you're too much or stop making so much noise or stop, whatever your experience is as a kid, you begin to hide parts of yourself so that you can feel safe and that becomes a survival strategy. You know, you you become a chameleon. You say, I'm going to do what I need to do in this society, in this culture, in this family to make sure that I'm safe and that I'm going to be okay. But often we hide the most essential parts of ourselves, the parts that really you start to feel like a part of you is dying, that we've really, you know, Because we're so afraid of being rejected by the person outside of us, the person we're in relationship with, we actually birth the the rejection within ourselves every time we don't share a voice, share expression. I remember listening to Carolyn Mason. She said that we will all be betrayed in our lives and we will all do a great betrayal to rejoin who we are. And I think at 27, that was the first betrayal I ever did to make my heart more important than how other people felt and that's a big reclamation of self. I would say, though, that it wasn't um, the complete uh, rejoining or rebirthing or coming back home to me. It was the first part, though, that I ever, I could say the first time I ever really consciously, you know, unconsciously, I think I was selfish a lot when I was younger to protect myself, but wasn't always in good ways. But with this, with this was like the first time that I made a a decision for myself despite everything and you know, you, you still face your greatest fears, you, you lose people, you get people talking about you, but you realize that you have to separate what other people think of you from what you think about you. I honestly think that's the greatest work. The greatest work is doing an honest audit of yourself and saying, am I the best version of me? Am I showing up as the best version of myself? And if I'm not, why? And that doesn't end. That work hasn't ended for me. You know, you keep realizing that you're capable of more. That maybe you're bigger than you've let yourself be. Maybe you're louder than you've let yourself be. Maybe you dream bigger than you let yourself. Maybe you cry harder than you let yourself. And as you examine that and you have an honest audit of where you're at in life and who you actually are, you can feel the pain and the grief that comes with that, maybe anger too, that you have minimized yourself and who you are and what you want and what you dream for in order to maintain status quo, in order to be average. And I don't mean that as a negative or an insult. I just think when we make, when we wake up to the truth that this is how we show up and we pay attention to the results we get in relationship, we can really take powerful powerful ownership over our lives and when we show up in you know i remember writing this article that was called why i am done with relationships and it was really about how i was done being who i thought other people needed to be who needed sorry needed me to be and that i didn't want a relationship like other people have you know when i was 27 and i ended that engagement i Woke up to the truth in a lot of ways. I was angry about it too, but I remember thinking I was taught my whole life that you get married at 25, 27, have kids by 30. And if you don't do that, there's something you're sort of fucked up. There's something wrong with you and you're defunct. And I think we send that message to women, especially. And you know, Alan Watts, who you probably hear me quote a lot because I love his work. He says we want apples that don't rot and women that don't age. In a lot of ways, there's so much deception that happens in that, that we sign up, as I said, you know, for these stories that aren't ours. We participate in stories and relationships and in a life that, you know, we don't necessarily want and or it might not be ours, but it's what we were taught to want. And I remember waking up in that story and, and as I said, I was angry because I thought there's people getting divorced all around me. There's people who are not happy together. They don't love each other. And they're like 85. And you know, that meme that you see that says, it has like a picture of a couple really, you know, late seniors, maybe in their nineties or something. And it says 75 years. How did you do it? And it's like, Oh, well, when we committed to each other, we knew what commitment really was. And I'm like, that is the most shaming fucking meme. I hate that meme. Because what it says is that if you happen to not be a couple raisins and in your late years still in love with the person you married when you were 14 or whatever, then you made a mistake and you're fucked up because you don't know what commitment really is. And in, in a lot of ways, because I felt so much shame for not being able to choose someone great, because I felt so much shame for not being able to grow up, or I was afraid of commitment, I felt like my mission at that time was to rescue people from the same shame, to say it's okay, actually, to end things. It's okay for relationships to not last, because that's the truth. They don't always. And I think when we connect to that, we go, huh, isn't it? nice to be human nice to be recognized nice to know it's okay to not know i think this is just so true with every aspect of life and i hate that we struggle in it and then we judge other people for struggling in it because we don't want to acknowledge our own struggle and look at the world the people who judge the most are usually the people hiding you know in the halls of craigslist about the things they judge the most and i think man if we could just create a space where everyone was okay to make mistakes, that the purpose of life is actually to make mistakes and to learn from them, for this to be your playground, for this incarnation, to, you know, gain the knowledge you need and to grow, to be able to turn towards the mistakes and the shame and all the things and to be able to look at it and go, there's so much knowledge here. If I wasn't being, you know, if you weren't being shamed for the mistake you'd be able to learn from it and change your life. That's why the the real the distillation of, of our pain from our past is when we give our past meaning. So when we look at something that hurt, that was shitty, that we didn't show up well, and shit, I got a boatload of those. But if you can turn towards it and look at it and you can say, I'm afraid of what I've done or who I've been or how I've been, but I need to look at that part of me so I don't reject the part of me that made the mistake, because that part of you is actually saying, hey, just so you know, here's some beautiful knowledge that I wanted to share with you because I made this mistake. Instead, we're like, I can't believe I did that. But in saying I can't believe I did that and rejecting that part of you, you don't get to learn the message. And I think in all triggers and because triggers are really just unhealed wounds, Till the trigger becomes your radar. You know, I hear a lot of people talk about how, well, I've been doing the work. Why hasn't the trigger gone away? And I'm like, well, the trigger doesn't go away because the trigger says, hey, alert, alert. When we get in situations like this, this is what happens. But truthfully, the trigger doesn't go away. It's what we do with the trigger that changes. You know, it's that we look at it as information and then we get curious instead of reactive. And then we choose a connective behavior rather than a disconnective behavior. And it's in those transformations, that experience of looking at how you show up differently, and how you can in the relationships that are possible, if you actually turn towards your pain, turn towards your mistakes. That's hard to do. You know, I don't know that I have, I certainly don't have it mastered. But I do have curiosity for my challenges. You know, in in relational conversations, when I was young, I didn't have hard conversations. You know, I got to that place at 27 because I avoided every hard conversation. I was afraid to hurt too much, hurt my partner. But in the end, you hurt yourself and you hurt your partner. You know, in avoiding it, (laughs) you create it. And I think what's fascinating about how we celebrate relationships and why I wrote that article was to say, look, we celebrate anniversaries, but when's the last time you heard someone celebrate the depth of a relationship? Look, I, I think... The length of a relationship is certainly one indicator of relational success, but it's not the only one. And there's plenty of people who've been together 75 years who hate each other. So why are we always celebrating that? And shaming when they end, shaming when I think someone who gets, because look at what we do. We've created a hierarchy in relationships. That if you're married, you're better than someone who's engaged. If you're engaged, you're better than someone who's dating. And if you're dating, you're better than someone who's single. Oh my God, if you have that disease. And if you're single, you're better than someone who's divorced. And I hate that hierarchy because what it says is your worth is found in the validation of being chosen, that your relationship status reflects your worth. And if you can't hold on to a relationship, then you're a failure. And our society will reject you for that failure. You will be seen as less than. When, when I actually flip it, and you know, my partner was divorced before I met her. And I said to her, it's one of my favorite parts of you because it's what woke you up. It took a great giant amount of courage to do that type of betrayal, just like it takes everybody a giant amount of courage to claim their truth. It doesn't mean, you know, because often people will say to me, like, but what happens if someone leaves too soon? What happens if a relationship ends? What happens if da-da-da-da-da? And I... Other people's relational outcomes have nothing to do with me. I don't judge someone for a relationship ending. If someone leaves too soon, that's their opportunity to learn. And that's when I think, great, you have an opportunity to learn. You now know what leaving too soon means. You stay too long, you now learn what staying too long means. And if we judge current relationships as people leave too soon and don't know what commitment really is, I think we can look back and say people stayed too long in the past. So who's right? See, it's not about being right. It's about learning. It's about having grace. It's about having compassion. Because none of us know what it's like to live in someone else's house, in someone else's shoes, in someone else's childhood, in someone else's experience. And the more you get to know your own, the more compassion and grace you will have for someone else's. The more you can turn towards your story and appreciate and love every part of it and ask what it, why it is here and what it can teach you the more you can actually hold that space of non-judgment for someone else when they come to you and you don't make it about you. That to me is really showing up as saying, did I show up as the best version of me? That determines my self-worth. You choosing me doesn't determine my self-worth. Me cho- choosing me determines my self-worth. And that's that transition that goes from your evolutionary thinking, which is I'm safe if you choose me, If you don't, I die. I mean, that's essentially what evolution has taught us. And that's why the parts of the body that experience loneliness, the same parts in our brain light up as when we experience physical pain, sort of alarming us to pay attention and find somebody so that we're not alone, so that we don't die. Now, there's no doubt that great relationships are incredibly healing for the body and they have a huge impact on our health and um, I'm sure I've mentioned this study before, but the Harvard Men's Study, which now includes women, thank God, right? It talks about how it doesn't, when they look at, this is the longest running study that took kids who were, um, young men who were going to Harvard and compared to them to young men who are from poorer neighborhoods in Boston. And that way you can measure the socioeconomic influence of the outcome, which you would assume people who came from more wealthy neighborhoods lived longer, had greater health. And I think you'd more often than not be right about that because of access to healthcare, clean food, all that kind of stuff. But what's interesting is that the greatest determinant of your health at 80 was the quality of your relationships at age 50, and it wasn't just romantic relationships, it was relationships of all kinds. And in a way, they had a protective effect on neurological breakdown like Alzheimer's, dementia, and also when people did have health issues, in their 80s, if they had stronger relationships, they recorded less pain on the days that were hard. And, you know, there is some uh, research that's also mentioned in um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, and it talks about an area, I believe it's in Pennsylvania, where there really is no heart disease. And there's a lot of confounding reasons um, for that. But one of the main ones is that this is a town and area, I forget what it's called, but it It's of Italian descent, and so there's many generations living in a home. There's lots of community, lots of sharing. And that kind of thing does create a calm and an ease in our bodies. So it tells you that knowing how to have essential conversations is important, and it's a skill set you learn. And for me, that has been learned to be cultivated through meditation It was a great book by Viktor Frankl that's called Man's Search for Meaning, and it was the first book I read after my engagement ended, and it was the first time I ever thought of why am I on this planet other than to be a biological function and die. You know, like, get a house, be a good provider, get a white picket fence, a nice car, make enough money to take care of my family. That's what I thought my purpose was. And I'm sure all of you have been given that sort of some teaching that's similar or different depending on where you grew up and what your gender is and what your culture culture is and all those things and in recognizing that you're able to see the influence on your life you're able to wake up to what is the impact that has had on who i am how do i measure up to that and you start to look at what were you taught about communication about connection about how to handle conflict And, you know, we talk about implicit and explicit messages. An explicit message is something like never get divorced. It's very clear. Or never trust a man. You know, all women want is money. You know, all these messages we receive. And an implicit message can be something as simple as our aunt gets divorced and our parents says, can you believe she got divorced? Unbelievable. And that sends the same message. Never get divorced. So when we can start to look at the messages we received around relationships, money, you know, conflict, you can start to see about why you react the way you do when you're in conflict with your partner or anyone when you experience tension. And you know, I the reason I focus on romantic relationships is because they're a magnifying glass to the things we're not good at, but it can show up in our relationship to a substance, to money, to our career, our purpose, to our bodies, my gosh, a lot there, to food. And when you're willing to look at it, you know what they say, when the student's ready, the teacher arrives. And I, I believe that's so true. When you're willing to look at it and have humility and say, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Where's the little kid in me who didn't have a voice who needs to be heard and seen? You're the one who needs to see them, not me not your partner. And when you decide that you're done subcontracting your healing to other people, just like you might be done subcontracting your happiness to other people, you can finally show up to life. You can finally be here. You can finally be present. You can finally feel it all. And I get reminded of that all the time myself of, do I allow myself all of the feelings I have when I get into conflict my move used to be to get defensive you know you say you're I remember actually my friend said you're being defensive and I said you're being and you realize that uh the well actually the antidote to defensiveness is uh saying I can see some truth in that well let me tell you that's like eating your shoe someone says oh you're being defensive and I'm like I can see some truth in that oh god but what's cool is that you build a bridge where you used to build a wall. So when you look at what you normally do in relationship, you can start to assess how do you communicate when you're hurting? Meditation allows you to observe your trigger so you can choose. And in that book, Man's Search for Meaning, gosh, I'm like a squirrel sometimes. In that book, Man's Search for Meaning, in that book, um, there's a quote that says, between every stimulus and r- response, there's a choice. And in that choice is how you change your life. I paraphrase that, but that's essentially what it says. So between stimulus and response, there is a choice. And in that space of choice is how you change your life. And so you think about, is this choice, is this behavior contributing to the person I want to be, to the relationships I want, to the life I want? And you have to start asking that in every decision you make. Is this keeping me average or taking away from my life? Or is it contributing to? what I want to create, and the person I want to be. And you have to get really real with yourself. And what you can do is you can change. You can change how you show up in communication. You know, when I got defensiveness out of the way, then I started to disassociate. So I'd be in conflict, and this still happens to me. I can recognize that I'm not emotionally in my body, but I'm in my body, so then I'm super intellectual. I can operate, my brain's there, but my heart's not connected. And it's usually sort of after an experience that I feel that or, you know, and I can sit there and think, I don't have a feeling right now, but I know there's many feelings below wherever this is. And so I essentially have a conversation with myself to say, I am disconnected from my heart right now. And when you're ready, when the feeling's ready, that's me speaking to myself, I say, I'm ready for you. Your feeling is welcome here. And usually it takes a while. But I start to feel a little grief or I start to feel a little anger. And you start to re get back in your body. And you know, you can come back to your partner and have a conversation about it. And this is the beautiful healing that relationship provides is if you're both willing to not be you against the partner or the the problem sitting between you and your partner, then you can change your life. You know, when you turn side by side to a problem, it's you as a team against the thing. And that is everything that's different, that's collaborative, you know, and that changes everything. With my partner, the, th- the space that lives between us is the most important space. We both have our own individuality, our own lives, and it doesn't mean we don't make mistakes or sometimes get out of balance. But the connection between us comes ahead of everything. And that's not always easy. But what it says is your safety is more important. Our safety is more important than anything. And no other connection comes ahead of that. And that's an agreement that we have that her heart that she has gifted me with for the time she has gifted me with is the most beautiful gift. And I want to honor that. But I also need to honor mine. And so that's that balance of, can I be in love and hold on to who I am? I said to you before that I didn't really know how to do that. I didn't know how to have my back and be in love. And that's really the work. That's really the work. Is showing up for yourself as you show up for another, but not making their feelings more important than yours and not making yours more important than theirs. And that's essentially the definition of a secure relationship. I really hope this was helpful. If there's any subject within this vast subject that I just covered with my squirrel brain, please feel free to email at info at markgroves.tv. I like television. Let me know what else you'd like me to explore. Um, I At the beginning of the podcast, I expressed that there is a book club if you want to join called Eight Dates, and it's about eight essential conversations that every couple needs to have And Kai and I are actually going to be doing the dates and then doing videos every two weeks about the dates. (laughs) So that should be an adventure. You're definitely going to get a window into my soul and her soul and our soul and our dynamic, which I'm more than happy to share. Because I think one of the most important pieces of work that anyone should do is to make sure that they are always making sure that people see that we're human, that there's no perfect That hard conversations are still hard for everybody. So if you're interested in joining us, please do. Um, Again, the link is bit.ly, bit.ly slash create the book club. I'd love to see you there. And on there, we also have the support of coaches online. And also, uh, we do weekly exercises, affirmations, meditations, videos, readings. We got a lot of fun stuff over there in this community of people who want to love all out and figure it out because we're all figuring it out. Much love to you today, guys, um, wherever you're hearing this. I appreciate you and I hope you have a wonderful day.